Welcome to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast, where I interview some of the best coaches in the business to find their secrets and share them with the world. I'm Scott Ritzheimer, founder and CEO of Scale Architects, and we help founders and leaders find the right coach at the right time so they can achieve the predictable success they deserve. And a huge part of that is helping great coaches do great work that creates enormous demand for their services with way less effort. If you're a high demand coach, I'd absolutely love to share your story and expertise as well. So stick around to the end of the show and we'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go. Hello, once again, and welcome to the Secrets of the High Demand Coach podcast. And I am here with another high demand coach, and that is uh, the great Axel Meyerhofer. Uh, Axel started off, uh, actually retired as an uh, Air Force officer. Uh, he was telling me before the show, and maybe we'll get to jump into it, but from Germany, who had uh, exchanged here into the U.S., uh, pretty cool stuff. But uh, after retiring as an Air Force officer, he started his first company in 2005, focusing on uh, consulting. He was helping uh, organizations with employee skill development and program management. So always had a love for education, for helping people help themselves to become successful. He's also gone on to have some significant success managing a seven-figure real estate uh, portfolio and helping others to achieve their own real estate investing success as well. So Axel, I'm so uh, excited to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. I'd love to open up just with your story. Tell us a little bit about who you are and how and why you got into coaching. Yeah. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. So you mentioned a little bit already. I was uh, in Germany at the time flying fighter jets for the German Air Force and got into testing the new equipment that was supposed to get integrated into the planes and the jets. And the manufacturers of that equipment were pretty much all in the United States. And so the only way if you are in this kind of leading edge testing kind of stuff is to go to actually to go to the company and get the training on how this stuff is supposed to happen, to work and to be integrated so that everybody who flies these planes can actually use it from the manufacturer. So that meant my wife and I and our little daughter at the time came over to like the West Coast Bay Area, as well as Texas and places like that every so often throughout a like two, three year period for like two to six weeks at a time. And out of that, we realized, well, while that is really interesting and cool, but you don't, it feels more like you're on vacation kind of and not really living in the country. So my wife and I said, wouldn't it be nice if there were a way to stay a little longer, get to really experience the culture and stuff like that. And so I reached out within our German Air Force uh, administration and said, is there such a thing? And they said, oh yeah, yeah, there is and has been for a long time. It's called an exchange program. And what that really means is you basically literally become a fully in, engulfed member of the other service. So I, I gave my uh, flight suits and my uniform and everything and became a U.S. Air Force officer with all the bells and whistles. I went through the training program to fly F-111s instead of the tornadoes I used to fly. And the exchange was literal. Um, the deputy commander of operations of a fighter wing in New Mexico got my job and I got his job. And wow. so for two, that was supposed to be two to three years. 
and it was all great. And this is one of those unique opportunities, many, many war stories I could tell, uh, nothing to do necessarily directly with coaching, except for the one thing, coaching and mentoring had a little bit of a role in that because the unit, the fighter wing that I was in, was very interested, and that is kind of the purpose of the whole exchange, to learn how do Germans do stuff differently than we do in the US Air Force. And there were two core things that I think maybe worth pointing out that people might be interested listening to us about it, is the one thing is that in the US system, there is a book and a procedure and some sort of something in a binder for everything. And in the German system, I grew up with, okay, we want to achieve something, and there's a thousand different ways to do this, but we have the goal in mind and in focus, and we want to go after that goal. Now, everybody might do it a little bit different, but that is the important thing. And why was that kind of eye-opening to my U.S. Air Force friends was the purpose of the planes, these F-111s that we were flying, was to basically advance the goals of a war like in Iraq. It targets, you know, make our troops safe, conquer the 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 space that we needed to conquer and stuff like that. And the better you could do this in a flexible way, the better it was. Mm. Right. And so <laughs> my, the one anecdote I, I want to share real quick is when I asked the guys that I flew with, they had relatively recently at that time come back from the first Iraq war, never lost one of their planes, were really, really very, very professional. I said, so how was this system applied when you were there? And they say, said, the first thing we did is throw away all the books and all the binders. <laughs> I said, okay, well, I guess that vindicates me because we don't even create the binders in the first place, right? So, okay, out of that, basically, the question then was, okay, what happens at the end of this exchange? And I thought we would just go back to Germany and you and I would be talking, me in Germany, you here in the US somewhere. But what happened is that somebody said, well, you have actually integrated yourself really well into this U.S. space, and we would we are in the process politically to build a flight training center in the United States because it's much easier to fly together with U.S. colleagues in the United States where there's way more space than in Europe where everything is so densely populated. And I said, so what does what do I have to do with that? And they said, well, you showed some promise in program management. And so we selected you as the program manager for building this flight training center. And I said, well, how long is that going to take? And they said, well, we are guessing two to three years. It was five. So they lied to me, basically. <laughs> right. And so then I got so close at the end when we opened the flight training center, I was so close to my option date. They call it an option date, which means I got physically to a point where it was harder and harder to be able to do the flying because, you know, pulling crazy Gs, anybody who has seen the, the um, second version of Top Gun, the newest Top Gun Maverick, you can see a little bit of how that is flying these planes. And they they actually did a great job showing these scenes and so showing the stress. So I was in my 40s when I got to that point. And so I, like I told you before we started recording, I had the option fly a desk or get out. And I decided to get out, got recruited by a software company in Santa Barbara. So we moved there, got a, a permanent residency, green card stuff. And then in 2005, started my own company. And I thought I would do kind of military related stuff. And it was totally not that way. I was more asked to help use my military training experience from these flight training center developments to help other people outside of the military to get trained. Mm. And that's, you know, training, education, like you said, Scott. 
and mentoring, coaching, these things are all connected. And I personally always say you can learn something, you can transfer knowledge, right? And you can go to college for that. Or you can take classes or learning programs or e-learning or stuff. Mm-hmm. But there's a different quality when you want somebody not just to retain and maybe apply the knowledge, but also change behavior. And that's where coaching and mentoring comes in. And I've always been fascinated in it. And that's where also Idea Wealth Grower came in because I feel that is the best so far I've had at least opportunity to really do a combination of coaching and mentoring to help people become successful in investing. Mm. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating. Uh, it, 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 as you're explaining this, I would say like the stereotype, at least that I grow up with of German, you know, function is even from like civil law where there's code for everything. And it's just this very precise, very methodical. And to hear that that's actually completely flipped, uh, especially when you, you like see at least the depictions in the movies of like the U S Mavericks, it's like, you know, throw away the book all the time. Uh, fascinating to hear that the differences in those two systems actually being the opposite of what I would anticipate. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, the, the parallels that that come in uh, to the business world uh, are there all the time, right? You, you know, you, you can you can make policies, you can make uh, protocols until you're blue in the face, but ultimately, it's the people that really move the organization forward. Yeah, right? absolutely, I would agree with that. And and to your point about the precision and the the organizational component to all these things, whether in the civilian world or the military world, what I would say is. To have a really, really thorough understanding of whatever the subject matter is that you are involved with. I used to say, and people used to accuse me in my flying times, especially during the test flying time, that I knew the bits and bytes by their first name. That's a level of excellence and mastery to strive for. But then the important component there is to say, okay, that's my foundation. Mm. Now that I know, and, and you apply this if you run a company or that provides a service or that provides a product or that makes medicine or whatever it may be, that should be, in my opinion, your foundation. You know, excuse the French, my you, you know your shit as well as humanly possible. Yeah. And then based on that knowledge, you can see and decide what different avenues can you take. And then our topic around coaching and behavior and and, and mentoring. And for me, it's always an important combination between the two is, okay, how do I do this in a way that engages other people? Right. Whether I'm in a leadership role, I'm in a management role, I'm in an innovation role, in a creator role. It's one thing to know your stuff, to know your procedures, and, and then be innovative to help the vision of the organization. But you typically can't do this all by yourself. And the behavioral component, the emotional intelligence, the communication intelligence, those are the things that I believe coaching and mentoring bring to the table. But if you don't make the necessary effort to build this foundation, either the German way or the American way, but you have that foundation, then then you will struggle on both ends because both are really pretty big tasks, you know, as as a personal goal, a personal task to say, okay, how do I get to know as much as I can about the subject matter? And how can I actually also learn to bring the right engagement to the effort? I heard it said once that bad musicians are bad because they don't know the rules and so they break all the rules, right? Good musicians are good because they know the rules and they adhere to the rules, but great musicians are great because they know the rules and they know when to break them. 
Right. Exactly. And and so yeah, I, I can I can definitely see the the uh, you know the pattern there that you're drawing out. Now, okay, so tell us a little bit about the work that you do then, because coaching and mentoring can mean a lot of things for a lot of people. Program management, skill development, these are big big ideas, right? So tell us a little bit about who you tend to work with and and how this shows up for them in the real world. Well. There are a couple of things to touch on. The first one, I would say, and and to a later question that you promised to ask, I, I will use that probably as the as one of the biggest secrets, if not the biggest one, is that we live in this unfortunate environment in in the English speaking, especially the United States world, where the term coach and then obviously the activity of coaching has two very 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 different meanings. And I'm not just saying this because I think I'm smart. I actually decided to get a PhD in that. That was my study, Mm. internal and external coaching in business. But what I found in the study when I interviewed coaches, and I know that you do this in your podcast all the time, is that when you ask people on the streets or in business, which I've done many times, what does a coach do? The first in most people's mind reaction is something like, Cleveland is playing in the NBA finals and LeBron is basically there with the coach and they have this little whiteboard and somebody draws up the play that basically says, you go from here to here to here to here to get the ball to LeBron. He takes the shot and the shot goes in and they win the finals. And what that guy drew on the little whiteboard is coaching. right? And that is basically telling other people what to do in which way. That's one way of coaching in sports. And then there is the other way of coaching and the one that I'm practicing together with mentoring is to help people discover a different way to accomplish their goals by changing their behavior. Mm. But it's not me telling them this is what you need to do and this is where LeBron has to be on the court and this is when he needs the ball and this is the shot that he's doing and if he is covered, then who is doing? That is telling people what to do rather than Let me ask you, Scott, or whoever else we're talking to, what you want to accomplish and where are you currently struggling? And how can I help you discover ways to overcome these obstacles, take advantage of the opportunities, come up with a plan of action, and then help you guide you along and hold you accountable to actually make it happen? Right. So, In that scenario, I'm not telling you what to do. You discover what you want to do and can do to accomplish your goals. Mm. And why I'm saying mentoring is such an important thing in my view is if you come to me for residential real estate investing, it would be probably a little bit funny, if not borderline ridiculous, when I know and have studied this for 10 years to try to pull out of you what might be the right way, right? Instead, for anything that has to do with that topic, I would be much better off and you would be much better off for me to share what I know. And now let's put that in contrast to what you want to accomplish. So sharing my knowledge, updated to right now what's applicable, is the mentoring part. Mm. And then finding out what you want to do and which behaviors and actions you might have to change and adjust and take to make it happen is the coaching part. Yeah, that's excellent. And, And what would you say some of the most important work that you do for your clients? Well, one of the things is, and, and I've actually written a little manual about it that people can go to ideawealthcore.com forward slash free and download it for free. All we want is your email so we can inundate you with our newsletter and stuff and podcasts and what have you. But uh, 
the one of the biggest things is to change people's mindset in the context of investing and, and building a passive income portfolios to reach what I call a time freedom point, which is the point on the calendar somewhere in the future where you no longer have to exchange your time for money. You don't necessarily have to have a job anymore because you have enough passive income, which doesn't mean you have to stop at the time freedom point. You now have the freedom to make that decision on do you want to work full-time, half-time, part-time? Do you want to live your passion and not do that job anymore? That's the freedom part of that time freedom point. And in the process, like you mentioned in the intro, develop a portfolio that is not just supporting you and your family, but get generations to come. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like the mentoring part, tell people how to do this and what strategies we have discovered. And the coaching part to your question is, a lot of people, and I don't fault anybody for that, get inundated with certain myths in the media, like only rich people can invest in real estate. We have such dire times, nobody has money to do anything. Uh, real estate investing only works on a massive scale. You have to have tens of thousands of dollars to even get started. All those myths is what I try to help people to overcome and then adopt with the mindset manual in hand what I call a creator mindset. And this comes not from me. I didn't invent it. Chris Crone actually wrote a book about it and allowed me to use that in our mindset manual and in our uh, approach. And that is don't be the victim. Don't let the external world tell you what you're allowed and not allowed to do, what, you, what is available to you in your life. Be the creator of your own future, of your own path, and then listen to people who actually have the evidence of one of the different paths that can mm. work. And I always, when somebody comes and says, well, shouldn't I do apartment multifamily investment? So I, I don't want to say you should or you shouldn't. But if you decide you want to do this, I can refer you to people who made that their foundation of excellence. If on the other hand, you decide you want to stay in the residential world, that's where I made my foundation of excellence. So I hope that, I think, that kind of gives you. No, I think that's so important, and I think something you know, kind of even zooming out from real estate uh, is that there's the right you know coach, mentor, consultant. There's the right person to help you in the right place, right? It's not a one size fits all thing. It's not. Uh, it's not even about good coach versus bad coach. It's about the right coach versus the wrong coach. And, and I think that's something that you're really you know accurately drawing out is. Uh, when you have someone who can come alongside and I would, you know, in your language, just to be clear, I think you're more in the space of mentoring, but where people get it wrong is, you know, they're looking for someone to help them and they kind of go to their buddy and say, Hey, you know, who helped you? It's like, well, this person did. It's kind of like going to someone and saying, Hey, what doctor did you go to? And they went to this heart doctor. What you really need is a, you know, a foot doctor, right? Like it, it, there, there's, there, there's all these differences. Um, but when we lump them into one uh, general vague thing, like coach, I need a business coach, right? Someone told me I need a business coach. We 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 lose that nuance, right? We lose the the specificity of it, and then you know if it doesn't go well, we chalk it up to coaching being broken in some way, shape, or form, rather than recognizing we didn't bring the right help in in the first place. Right, exactly. Well, and the the question when somebody says and discovers that they believe they need a coach or a business coach or an executive coach or anything along those lines, and let's say they came to me or to you. My first question would always be, what is the need? What is the thing 
that you say you are in need of, not in the sense of the coach, but have you discovered that one of your behaviors doesn't work? Have you discovered that something isn't working quite the way you want it to work and you try to find out why? Has somebody said you're lacking in a certain way and tell me what that is? You know, so this, this de declaration, I believe I need a coach, as great as it is as an opening of the door, for me, it's very important to say, okay, try in your own words to de describe what kind of a change you are looking for? What would mm. be the ideal outcome at the end of any kind of engagement that you and I have with each other so that I have an idea if what you just said, Scott, if what I can offer is actually a fit, right? And whether I take the, the example of, okay, if you want to build a residential real estate portfolio, then I'm a fit. If you, on the other hand, want to do multifamily or storage units or something else, build a factory, I'm not a fit not because I can't help you discover and develop the behaviors, but if it's only behavior change and nothing else contextual, right? Then that's to your example, if you say, I need somebody with a medical training. Okay, but ultimately you want some specificity. Yeah. Like the foot doctor versus the heart surgeon versus the oncologist or something like that, right? Just talking all day long about how can you better engage a doctor on the topic of medical advice or medical engagement is one thing. And that's why I feel when you say what is the right or the wrong coach, there is the purity, like the International Coaching Federation, for example, proposes the purity that everything that happens in coaching sessions and coaching development has to come from the coachee. That is a very pure way of looking at it from a conceptual perspective. My problem, and I'm first to admit that I have a personal problem with that, is that when we have conversations, <clears throat> we need to have something that we can anchor the conversation in. And obviously, that would be in whatever topic or thing, world, business, company, job you're living in. So if you have somebody who has basically no idea, if you say, okay, I'm a banker, and all day long, I'm struggling to do my banking job better so I can become the branch manager. And I have no clue whatsoever what, what money is and how banking works and all of that. Yes, I can help you discover behavior change. But the conversation will be so much richer if I have something, at least some sort of a foundation right. that I can empathize with you. I can actually connect with you. I can basically not just say, tell me more. I can say, have you looked into this area? Have you looked into that area? Yeah. Right? And I can tell you a little bit when you, and I don't know if you were planning to ask that or not, when it comes to how do I actually get people to sign up for our program, whether they are business owners or individuals, it's typically because I'm writing constantly and providing content in the platforms and on, in, in the places online that cover certain topics that I believe I can contribute something to. So one would be in a, a platform called Bigger Pockets. It's the largest in the world place where all people interested in real estate investing congregate. And I write comments and forum posts and articles and all kinds of stuff. So obviously, these 2 million people that congregate there, when they think, okay, I, I've always been wondering how this works, can I find somebody on the platform who can, who can demonstrate that he or she has done it, 
and talks about it in a way that resonates with me. And then they fill out the little form on the website. Well, now we have a totally different entry to the first and I think subsequent conversation. And if we're talking business coaching and mentoring, I have studied this stuff and I have a philosophy based on John Cotter's approach to, um, to change because that's pretty much what we all live through mm. in life. A certain circumstance of change, whether it's a good change because we got promoted and we suddenly realized, holy shit, I was really good in management. Now I'm supposed to be a leader. Now I'm not executing the strategies that some leader has given me. Now I'm supposed yeah. to come up with these strategies. Right. Right. So how do I do this? Right. And as soon as you start doubting yourself, then obviously not as effective anymore as yes. you were when you were a manager. That's when you need a coach to actually take this positive transition and live into it and fill it with your capabilities. And I always say the first thing when we have that first conversation is, do you really think they would have promoted you if you don't have the potential to actually make it? Right. Right. So right. let's take that as our foundation. Now let's find out right together. What does it take? Well, how can I do this? I founded two businesses. Right. Because that's what I mean. You know, coaching is one thing is pulling out from people what they can and need to do to take advantage of opportunities, overcome obstacles and reach their goals. And mentoring is from a coach's perspective, from a coaching business perspective, which are the areas where I can actually contribute something where the conversation is rich during the coaching sessions. Yeah. And not just, okay, I'm applying a mechanism that I've learned in some coaching certification program, but I don't really know what you're struggling with contextually. Yeah. Oh, so much good stuff in there. Uh, but I'm, I'm eager to hear, and, and you've alluded to it already, so I'm, I'm, I'm ready to dive in. But uh, what would you say is the biggest secret that you wish wasn't a secret? What's that one thing that you wish everybody out there listening today knew? I want to limit it to the United States or people living and having grown up and coming from the United States uh, okay. as a country. And that biggest secret is to realize that coaching is, has nothing to do with the person that you ask to help you to provide you with the solution or the answer. Mm. If you look at it, if coaching in and of itself is helping you to discover the answer, it's not drawing up the little play on the little mini whiteboard and then get the ball to LeBron. You are the source of the answer. And for me, that's the biggest secret. If we could make this, everybody understand, especially business people listening, you have the answer. You may not have really looked at everything. And what you're asking somebody as a coach to help you with is to explore all these options and then decide now that I can see them because we had this really meaningful, deep conversations. Now I can decide which one I want to take and make my own and mm -hmm. then have the coach in the secondary role after the discovery to help you along and really start filling yeah. it with life. And which is oftentimes also very desired, especially in the business community where we are all super, super busy is holding you accountable to really make the change. Right. That's why a secondary quote unquote secret that I would say, if that's allowed is you want your coach to have a concept on how you will be able to apply this change, not just to yourself, but also to the people that you engage if you do it in right. business. And yeah. I mentioned to you, John Cotter, Leading Change, or what I actually recommend to anybody listening, get that little book called Our Iceberg is Melting. 
mm. that talks about change in a really, really nice way. And that's my philosophy. That's how I help people to actually live into and execute on the change. There are a hundred million other ways on how people can help others in coaching and mentoring to afford the change. But I believe as a secondary secret, you want to be able to ask your coach, okay, so if I discover my way and now I need to make these changes, how will you help me make that happen? And right. I would say, I, I get you the little book for free. You read it, then we talk about it, and then we actually execute. Yeah. That's that is a, a a brilliant brilliant question because I I think one of the the challenges that folks have is how do you know who the right coach is and and I think that's easily one of the best questions that I've heard to help filter that out right because it's not just do I like you right and and in a uh, the kind of the pure sense of the coaching it can be like well if all you're gonna do is sit there and ask questions I can I can you know I can bring in anybody right you can it's you Alexa <laughs> yeah you can hire your dog you know uh, but uh, but having the ability to to put to put flesh on the bones right to help you walk it out is what a great coach does it's, it's fascinating um all right so last question that I have for you here and that is that I know that you know, as coaches, we have a knack for giving our very best time and energy to our clients and, and, and kind of leaving it all on the table, but leaving, you know, very little uh, for us on the side. And, and I know this is especially an area that you focus on a lot. So I'd love for you to take off your, your coach uh, mentor hat, put on your CEO hat and tell us a little bit about what the next phase of growth looks like for you and your business. Well, in, in a very limited uh, nutshell, small nutshell, a quick answer would be um, working on scalability. But if you allow me to just expand a tiny bit on that, I think if coaches are listening to us, what you first have to ask yourself, do I have a business or do I have a practice? Mm. And there is a good book about that called uh, Thought Leadership um, by... Um, I think it's Michael Church. I know the last name is Church. I might butcher the first name. The point on that is, if you discover in your coaching business that every time when you say, I have my calendar is full, I'm basically coaching as many people as I humanly can, reasonably, and still maintain quality. And you obviously say, well, there are many other people struggling to actually generate business. So I bring in other people equally trained with the same kind of uh, fundamental understanding with that foundation we spoke about. You will, If you discover that your clients say, yeah, but I want you, Scott, or yeah, I, I hear you, but I really want you to be my coach or mentor or both, then that is a good indication that you probably have a practice. Mm. Right, Because if it were a business, then you actually develop processes and systems and procedures and stuff like that. And then ultimately, the goal would be that you can pull yourself out and your team is taking care of the business. So I had to admit to myself that I have a practice. And what that means is my best and most valuable contribution to the business is serving the client. And so to answer your question in a little bit more elaborate way is I'm getting and have already gotten people on my team who do pretty much everything else from you engage with Nadine to set us up for the schedule. I have a guy who does the website. I have a marketing guy. And as we have, and I'm not claiming that I'm completely booked out or anything like that at this moment, but it fluctuates because the need for coaching is 
initially very intense and then it can moderate a little bit based on availability and where we are in the journey and stuff like that. But still, if I want to make as much of my time possible available for coaching and mentoring, I need to grow the team and 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 the team of support people who do everything else other than the coaching and mentoring. Mm. And that's what I'm doing. But it also means when you admit that you have a practice that you can only, and I, I mean this in the in the nicest way, you can only accept so many patients. Right. Right. It's very similar. And that's why I use the term practice. If if you are a dentist and you really want to do the top-notch work because it will be with these people for the rest of their life everybody will see the dental work when they smile, then it can't be a five minute job, right? It can't be that you say, okay, I need to get 15 people per hour through this practice on the ta- on the chair. Mm-hmm. You have to make that as a conscious business decision to say, okay, my sessions are always 45 minutes. And then the other 15 minutes of the hour is a little bit before and a little bit after we use all the gadgets we can with zoom with transcript, with recording, with chat recording, audio, video, everything. Every session is given to it to the coachee or, or the mentee. Um, all that technology, but still, it needs to be an hour per person. And that means there's only so many that you can do per week, per month, per year. right? And if you see that the demand is higher, I, my advice from a business development perspective is increase your rates. It's kind of like what Elon Musk does with Tesla, right? Like he increased the prices for Teslas by 30% in the last 12 months, not because it takes him 30% more to make it, but people were waiting for more than a year. Right. Right. So when you bring it up to a level where you eliminate certain people, then you can manage uh, the wait list. And I really believe um, coaches should be open to tell their clients, hey, sorry, I'm pretty full. I can put you on the wait list. It might take fill in the blanks amount of time before I can take you on. Right. If they really commit it and it's not like a life and death urgency kind of thing, then they will wait. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, all right. So I know there's some folks listening uh, that are saying like, I, I absolutely uh, love what you've said. Uh, I, they're, they're resonating with every bit of it and they want to know how they can connect with you and learn more uh, about your coaching, your mentoring. Where can they find you and, and how do they start? Well, the easiest is if you go to idealwealthgrower.com, and I'm assuming you would put that into the show notes or something Mm -hmm. like that. If you wait about 37.5 seconds, um, there will be something popping up to say, let's schedule a strategy session. So that would be one thing. Or you could uh, sign up for the newsletter and I would find out about that. Or you can just write an email to axel at idealwealthgrower.com. So and and by the way, if you put ideawealthcore.com in Google, we're pretty much everywhere, pop up all over the place. So there's easy ways to get in touch with us. Excellent. Fantastic. Well, Axel, uh, it's tremendous. Uh, I, I loved every minute of this conversation. Uh, there's so much wisdom that you brought. I, I so appreciate your willingness to share with, with me and with the audience. Uh, for everyone listening, thank you so much for, for spending your time with us. Your time and attention are the biggest honor that we could receive. So thanks for being here with us for this conversation. We look forward to seeing you next time. Take care. Scott Ritzheimer here. Thank you so much for listening to the Secrets of High Demand Coaches podcast. If you are a successful coach, consultant, or advisor who's built a strong book of business and would like to be on the program, please visit go.scalearchitects.com 
And if you got something out of this interview, would you share this episode on social media and just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials? If you know someone who'd be a great guest, you can tag them on social media to let them know about the show. And make sure you include the hashtag high demand coaching. I love seeing your posts. I love seeing your guest suggestions. Thank you so much. We are regularly putting out new episodes and content to make sure you don't miss any of those episodes. Go ahead and subscribe now. Your thumbs up, your ratings, your reviews, they go a long way to help us promote the show and they mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, you can go to our website, www.scalearchitects.com, or you can follow me or the company on LinkedIn, Facebook, or Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next time.